One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome Here we go. America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, March 11th, 2021, people. I hope all of you are having a great day. I hope all of you are enjoying Champ Week, the best week on the calendar. By the way, I am a terrible UConn Huskies fan. As it turned out, Wednesday was the 10-year anniversary of the Kemba step back where he broke Gary McGee's ankles, led UConn, of course, to five wins in five days at Madison Square Garden, six more in the NCAA tournament 2011 national champs and I completely forgot to talk about it so shame on me but I am back today really fun episode and here is what we are going to do I will keep it relatively brief off the top the reason being Wednesday was a great day of basketball but by the time many of you listen to this it will be completely moot as the games start early Thursday so I'll just kind of react to a couple things I saw on Wednesday what it means for the big picture of everything with UNC getting a very convincing win Duke surviving and advancing against Louisville Uh, and then we'll transition a little bit to Thursday Friday because we have some incredible basketball as the Big 12 really really gets ramped up on Thursday the Big East really gets ramped up on Thursday the ACC gets ramped up on Thursday it is going to be a great day of college basketball maybe my favorite day of the entire calendar and especially considering that that was when last year college basketball was taken away from us I'm happy to have it back and then from there we're going to keep it brief because on the back end I do want to get to an interview Pat Bradley from the SEC Network Pat Bradley is a trip man I have been on his radio show many times love talking ball with him he is a northeast guy like me he ended up at the University of Arkansas so we talk a little bit about his career uh, the rise of the Razorbacks under Eric Musselman Nate Oates Kentucky can they make a run so really fun interview as the SEC really ramps up as well on Thursday with the top four seeds getting a bye until Friday before we get started I want to remind you please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast iTunes the Podcast Addict app Podbean Spotify TuneIn Radio make sure to rate and review the show go ahead and give us a quick five stars let us know what you like what you don't like all that good stuff make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, and just pay close attention. We got some really, really, really cool stuff coming here uh, over the next few weeks with a bracket challenge and all sorts of fun stuff. So it is a great time to be a part of the Aaron Torres podcast family. A lot of fun stuff going on. But with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into the heart of championship week, champ week, as Wednesday was really the day that it ramped up as the Big East the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10 all tip off. I guess in theory, the SEC is the only major conference that has yet to tip off. Oh no, even the SEC, how could I forget Texas A&M Vanderbilt? We're going to be telling that game, we're going to talk to our grandchildren about that game for the next 50 years. How could I forget Vandy, Texas A&M? So listen, Great day of college hoops, and here's what I want to do. I just want to do a few quick reactions, and the reason being kind of very simple is that I just think that obviously I don't want to react and overreact to these games that were on Wednesday because obviously, again, by the time many of you listen to this on Thursday – um, the bottom line is that th- that you know we'll already have moved on to the next slate of games. There's the possibility that the teams that I'm hyping up right now will already have lost, and so I don't want to do that. But I just very briefly want to talk about Wednesday, preview Thursday, and then we will get to Pat Bradley. But the thing that stood out to me in terms of Wednesday is one simple thing. When North Carolina is locked up, locked in, excuse me, my goodness, is that a good basketball team? And for people who didn't get to see North Carolina, they were the late game at the ACC tournament in Greensboro. Final score, they beat Notre Dame 
101 to 59 but that's not the whole story first of all Notre Dame not a terrible team this year they weren't great but this is a team that did win at Rupp Arena they did beat Duke at Cameron they did have a couple other nice wins including the end of the regular season where they beat Florida State to end the regular season they come to the ACC tournament and North Carolina just curb stomps them again 101 59 here is the catch though with 15-26 left, the score was 61-47. to 61-47 with 15-26 left. UNC goes on a 35-2 run from there, which means that at one point it went from 61-47 to 96-49. That was how dominant North Carolina was for most of the second half. And so the reason I am talking about the Tar Heels is for one very simple reason, is that if you actually follow all the bracketology stuff, North Carolina is currently being projected as a number eight or number nine seed. And as I watched that game, I couldn't help but think, man, could you imagine being a Gonzaga, a Michigan, uh, a Baylor, an Illinois, working all year to put yourself in position to get a number one seed and then have that team in the second round. And for people who have not seen North Carolina or did not watch on Wednesday night, what you need to know is, look, it's not just that they scored 101 points. It's who they are. It's who their personnel is and the way they play. North Carolina might be the most physically imposing front line in college basketball where they have four guys that I'm not exaggerating. They, they got four different guys that can probably get you 20 and 10 on any given night. And if you watch the North Carolina game, it was just sheer force of will down low. Their best big guy didn't even play. His name is Garrison Brooks. And in his absence, they had a player named Armando Baycott go for 20 points and 13 rebounds. Dayron Sharp, a freshman, 14 points and 10 rebounds. And then Walker Kessler, another freshman, McDonald's All-American, who barely even played for big chunks of this season, comes in against North Carol or against Notre Dame, excuse me, goes for 16 and 12. And so you look at a team that can throw seven footer after seven footer after seven footer at you. That is just a very intimidating thing to think about in terms of a potential first round matchup as you looked at the box score after that Notre Dame game and it wasn't just the points but the rebounds as well North Carolina number one in the country in rebound margin they out rebounded um, Notre Dame by 23 total rebounds they finished with 25 offensive rebounds compared to Notre Dame's 31 total rebounds and so, again, when I look at what is going to happen here over the next few weeks and the next few months, you know, the one thing that I always get asked in the media, especially this time of year, well, who can pull an upset? Who's the number one seed that's going to fall? What is going to happen? Where is it? I need to see a bracket. I can't tell you what's going to happen without knowing what the matchups are. And I will tell you definitively that when I think about those number one seeds, the teams that are projecting and trending to be that way, Illinois, Michigan, who am I missing? Mil Illinois, Michigan, Baylor, and Gonzaga. I almost said Ohio State. I know Ohio State wasn't there. But you look at those four teams, and what I've said for weeks now, weeks on end, I think those four teams are definitively better than everybody else in the country. Like, it is those four, and then a big gap, and then if you want to talk Iowa or Alabama or Arkansas or whomever – that is where the gap comes. And so I've always said, I just can't see the scenario where a Michigan or a Gonzaga or a Baylor ends up losing early in the tournament. Well, I take back that. I take back what I said because, again, I could see North Carolina pulling off that upset. Now, to be clear, a couple things. One, I understand why North Carolina is on the 8-9 line. I'm not saying the bracketologists are getting it wrong. And I will say part of it is because they have been inconsistent all year. They have great nights like they did on Wednesday night where they can just physically overwhelm teams. But then on the flip side, they have had some bad nights too. 
They lost to a Marquette team, which just lost to open the Big the Big East tournament. Steve Wojciechowski, I don't think he'll be fired, but he's going to be on the hot seat going into next year. So you have that situation. You lose to Marquette. You lose at Syracuse. You lose early in the season to fall to 0-2 in the, in the ACC. And so it's not as though North Carolina is a flawless team, but they are playing at an elite level. And I just think that when I look at them, they just create so many problems that nobody else in college basketball necessarily has answers for. Again, they're inconsistent. They don't do this every night. But when they come in locked in and focused, again, four different guys that can basically get you 20 and 10 on any given night. They had three guys on Wednesday night against Notre Dame that got you double doubles. And I just sit there and say, my goodness, can you imagine being a Gonzaga or an Illinois working an entire year, a Baylor, a Michigan, to get to the point where in position to get a number one seed? And then you see that team in the second round. But again, we'll see what happens because they will return to the court uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night, excuse me, against Virginia Tech. And maybe they lose by 20 and I look stupid. That's part of doing this show in real time. Uh, but it is what it is. And I think North Carolina is really deadly. The only other note from Wednesday afternoon really that was noteworthy or Wednesday in general that was noteworthy, I really should say, Duke did beat Louisville, survive and advance to the next round of the ACC tournament where they'll now play Florida State. And for Duke, I will say that in general, I don't think there's some like amazing takeaway, like they turned some amazing corner. I will say, however, it is interesting because they are now getting better play down low. They have a kid named Mark Williams, who is a true freshman who really actually didn't play very much early, finished this game with 23 points and 19 rebounds. And obviously it goes without saying if you get that sort of production uh, from a guy down low, you're going to be able to be competitive in just about every game. But I bring it up because as good as the win was for Duke, I am not sold that it means that they've magically turned a corner, that they're magically going to be incredible or they're magically unbeatable or they're going to make this incredible run. I just have not seen that consistency enough from Duke to really believe uh, that they are going to actually make the run that they need to to get into the NCAA tournament. As I said, they play Florida State on Thursday. That is going to be a bad matchup for them. But they did what they need to do, and I will be curious to see if they can keep this mojo going. If they do beat Florida State after beating Louisville, that all of a sudden puts them into pretty good position to actually get in that large bid. But again, I will believe it when I see it with Duke. I do think kind of on an interesting other note, there is the Louisville perspective. And I talked about it a little bit on Tuesday's show, but Louisville comes into this one probably a little bit closer to the cut line of forget the bubble but missing the entire NCAA tournament I think they're probably a little bit closer than people realize they were in Joe Lenardi's last four in um, or next four in they were basically one of the last eight teams for Joe Lenardi in the NCAA tournament field coming into Wednesday and so losing this game certainly does not help their cause especially with so many other bubble teams that still have yet to play their conference tournaments and it was interesting I was talking I actually called Nick Coffey who was in Greensboro and was talking to him a little bit on Wednesday afternoon and I kind of asked him I said are you guys as close to the cut line as as I think you guys are and he kind of just said flat out that that Louisville is probably one of the more interesting teams for the committee to figure out right because this this year with the committee it's like the committee has to weigh so many different things you have to weigh not only the traditional metrics the net the the whatever wins losses home wins home losses but you got to factor in covid pauses you got to factor in what games a team missed due to covid which ones would have helped them which ones could have hurt them how many could they have won and Nick, Nick Coffey kind of brought up the interesting point that Louisville is kind of like the ultimate case study in this because they had two separate COVID pauses. Uh, you look at the games that they could have won. One, there was probably two or three more wins on the schedule that they would have had. They did play. They were supposed to play Pitt, did not get the chance to play them because of a COVID pause. Um, they did not get a chance to play 
uh, uh, Boston College, no, North Carolina State, which wasn't very good this year. So there were a couple baked-in wins that all of a sudden Louisville gets to play those games. They have a much more impressive resume. And on the flip side, there was probably three or four marquee games that they didn't get to play that could have helped the resume if they had had the chance to play them. Most notably, a couple games against Virginia Tech were postponed. And so Nick Coffey brought up the very interesting point of this is not a normal year and Louisville might be the ultimate case study of like how do you measure and judge these teams because again it's not just about win-loss record and quad one wins and all that kind of stuff it is also about um, you know it is also about just how do you judge teams that had multiple games canceled that took bad losses off of a COVID pause Louisville took its two worst losses of the season directly off of a COVID pause do you punish them do you not punish them but it's going to be interesting because Louisville finishes the regular season believe it or not at just 13 and 7 overall um, and that includes the ACC tournament loss. And you really look at their resume. They got a couple decent wins. They did beat Seton Hall. They swept Duke during the regular season, did lose to them in the postseason. You got a solid win against Georgia Tech. But this is just a team that lost a lot of games uh, due to COVID. And it's just going to be interesting to see what happens with Louisville. It would not stun me if they were one of the last few teams in or frankly one of the first few teams out, maybe one of those alternate teams that I talked about on the show a few weeks ago. Really quickly, I don't know that there is a ton else to take out of Wednesday's slate. There were a couple headlines worth keeping your eye on. The first one, speaking of Louisville, how about shout out Rick Petito? Iona wins, they beat Siena, they advance to the semifinals of the MAC, the MAAC, uh, tournament. They are about as wild of a story as, as you could possibly have in college basketball. I believe they had at least three, maybe four different pauses for COVID, including right at the end of the regular season. I don't even think they knew if they were going to be able to play uh, in this conference tournament until very late. They get to the conference tournament and they beat Siena. And I don't know if I made it clear why I said parallel to, to Louisville, remember, Iona's head coach is Rick Pitino. And what this only proves to me beyond a reasonable doubt is that Rick Pitino, whatever you think of him, whatever he was doing in that Italian restaurant, however he recruited players to Louisville, that dude is a heck of a coach. Um, I believe, I still believe at some point, some Power 5, Power 6 conference team is going to offer him a shot. It only, it only took one AD, the one in Iona, to give him a shot to get back into college basketball. And if he keeps winning, if he gets Iona into the NCAA tournament in year one, I think there's going to be a lot of suitors. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of jobs that make a lot of sense. If Miami were to open up, and it should open up in the next year or two, he would make sense there. There's a couple other spots. But I'm just telling you, man, this guy's going to get another shot. By the way, I joked on Twitter. They should, just, they should do a reality TV show with Rick Pitino. Just send him to a different school every year. See if he can get them in the NCAA tournament because he is a heck of a coach. He does turn teams around fast. He also gets them in trouble with the NCAA. So in theory, he's only there for one year. He can't get you in trouble. Little joke. Ha ha. LOL. But Rick Pitino gets the win. They beat Siena. They advance to the semis of the MAC Conference Tournament. And for those of you who are paying very close attention to the MAC, uh, looks like Siena will play. I can't even, or excuse me, Iona will play. I'm not going to lie. I can't find the game off the top of my head. You really don't care. You just want to make Patino jokes, and I don't blame you. Uh, only other worthy note uh, from Wednesday. This is a bubble thing for people of you guys that follow the bubble. Um, Iona, or not Iona, not Iona, is Xavier. Uh, Xavier in the Big East took a loss. They were the seven seed. They played Butler in the opener, and they lost to Butler. And for the bubble conversation, this is a mega, mega, mega deal. Xavier kind of waffled between last four in, first four out, next four out. They're another team that actually played really well early but was ravaged by COVID late injuries. One of their best players, Nate Johnson, goes out with injuries. But they take a loss to Butler on Wednesday night, the opener of the Big East tournament. It was all but presumed that they had to win this game. They will, they would have played Creighton in the next round. But you look at this team, they came back from a COVID pause probably about four weeks ago. And since then, just two and six overall, including a loss to Butler. 
I think they're on the outside looking in because you start to now consider the fact that there are a lot of teams like Duke, for example, by the way, that's right on the bubble that are winning games at conference tournaments. You have teams that haven't even tipped off yet that are on the bubble in conference tournaments, a team like a Michigan State the Mountain West has three different teams that are kind of bubble teams, Utah State, uh, Colorado State, and Boise State. Those three teams are still going to have a chance to pick up wins. And so I go through that to say Xavier may be one of those teams. One, they're going to be sitting there for the next four or five days just sick to their stomach trying to figure out if they can get in. Uh, but they take a really bad loss. That's just about it from Wednesday, by the way. Georgetown did look really good. I'll be curious to watch them against Villanova to open the Big East tournament on Thursday. I believe they can actually flat out upset Villanova, Um, but that was really it from the day. Shout out to Rick Pitino. Shout out to Butler, who beat Xavier, and of course, North Carolina and Duke. And finally, I just want to wrap by saying, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? Because last year, Wednesday night, we all went to bed in a fit of rage and panic. Rudy Gobert gets COVID-19, test positive. They shut down the NBA. We wake up the next day. We don't know what's going on. Conference tournaments are getting shut down. And guess what? We get a half of Creighton St. John's, and then the season is canceled. And so as we go into Thursday of conference championship week, I got to say, guys, I don't think I realized how impactful and how crazy the last year was until it hit me. This is Wednesday of Conference Championship Week, and through hell or high water, we are getting conference championships the end of this week. And I don't think it hit me how crazy last year that Wednesday, Thursday was. But as you wake up, it's Thursday morning, conference championships tip off. And I'll just tell you this, Thursday may be the best day of the year just in the noon window. How about this? West Virginia, Oklahoma State, two top 10 teams that are legitimately good enough to make a Final Four. Uh, Syracuse, Virginia. Michigan State, Maryland. Michigan State just lost to Maryland a few days ago. Maryland takes a few losses. They're like weirdly close to the bubble. We have Nova Georgetown, which I just talked about. Syracuse, Virginia. Kentucky, Mississippi State, that's obviously a huge one. I'll talk about Kentucky with Pat Bradley momentarily. They kind of fit, in my opinion, in that Duke category of they've shown enough talent to beat anybody, but can they do it four times over a four-day stretch? So I'll talk to Pat Bradley about that. And if that's not enough for you, from then on, it's nothing but good basketball across the day. Baylor will obviously play in that 2-2-30 window. Seton Hall, St. John's, that is basically a loser is out of the NCAA tournament picture kind of game as St. John's and Seton Hall will play there. Um, and then from there, the nightcaps. I mean, we know how exciting that night window is. Duke, Florida State, um, you know, all sorts of good games. Indiana, Rutgers, Indiana, obviously Archie Miller trying to do what he can to keep his job. That is... Those are two games in the 7, 7.30 Eastern time window. Oklahoma, Kansas. I don't even know if I talked about it, but Kansas, one of their best players, David McCormick, is out because of COVID protocols. And then late night, we got some good ones. I mentioned North Carolina. They're back against Virginia Tech. Texas versus Texas Tech. UConn back in the Big East tournament versus DePaul. So it is going to be a fun, fun, fun day of college basketball. And with that said, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I think it is time for me to get out of here. Uh, Fun night, interesting night, fascinating night, and nothing but good stuff ahead. Speaking of good stuff ahead, how about that for a segue? Pat Bradley, SEC Network. Pat Bradley, a stud. He is about as fun as it gets. Uh, He and I talk about a lot of different topics. We talk about um, his career, Arkansas, the run that they're on with Coach Muss, Nate Oates, the incredible job that he's done at Bama, Kentucky, can they win those games necessary? And then we talk a little Baylor-Gonzaga at the end. I will say we recorded Tuesday night right before the Gonzaga game, so I do go on a little bit of a Gonzaga rant, which actually was very applicable. But Pat Bradley and I are coming up now. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Podcast Addict is, of course, for Androids. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. 
Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. And I would subscribe, by the way, because, again, great stuff coming. We will have a bracket challenge, some major, major, major cool prizes coming with it. So make sure you're subscribed to get all the details. Rate and review. Follow on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today for this segment before I get to Pat Bradley. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And now from the SEC Network, here is Pat Bradley. All right, joining me via Zoom, this man is harder to track down than the President of the United States. (laughs) Been trying to get him on the podcast forever, but he's here from the SEC tournament, technically whatever. SEC Network, Sirius XM, Pat Bradley, my man, what's going on? How are you? What's up, AT, my boy? Look at you, buddy, from the northeast to the, the, the right coast to the left coast. Well, see, that perfectly segues into the question I've wanted to ask you since you and I got to know each other a little while back. Uh, I think I was doing some serious XM with you as a guest a few years ago. How does a Boston guy end up in Arkansas? I'm sure you've told the story. Every Arkansas fan probably knows, but I don't know the story. What happened? Man, a couple of couple of couple of right turns, left turns, find yourself in the in the beautiful Ozark Mountains. It was uh, just a U turn. We were playing the AU tournament. And we were in, um, actually, we were in at Wake Forest playing. And so just, just hooping, having a good tournament. The, the, the front row of coaches is there. And it was 94. This was the summer of 94. So Arkansas just won the national championship. Sure. So, you know, you had Nolan Richardson, Coach K, all these guys. And I just happened to play well. We. And he had called me in my hotel. Actually, Coach An- Mike Anderson called me in my hotel room. He said, "He said, yeah, that Mike Anderson, uh, you obey. We've been watching. We like what you see. Hang on. Here's Coach Richardson. Talk to Coach. He said, yeah, we'll be at the game tonight. I said, beautiful. So played. And, and we. the thing is, here's the thing. I wasn't like I, I, I absolutely destroyed out there. My team just kept winning. Sure. And, and, and if you keep winning – Keep you playing. play on the main court. Sure. So, you know, you lose, you go to like a, an auxiliary gym. You with sure. no AC, one little fan going. <laughs> and then, uh, and that's what happened. And we ended up, um, you know, getting down to the, the final four of the, of, of the tournament, which, at, you know, at that time, there was one big AAU tournament. And uh, he called me up. He says, yeah, we got a scholarship. We're offered to you. And at the time, I was getting recruited Dave Lado, Northeastern, Dennis Wolf, Boston University, Jimmy Barron, St. Bonaventure. And wow. so, like, <laughs> I had to call those guys and go, uh, Coach Barron, you won't believe this. But Nolan Richard just, Coach Richard just offered me a scholarship. He's like, wow. dang, Pat. He goes, listen, I would take it too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh and that was it man it was it was a big rec- I'll, I'll put it to you this way that year after they lost to ucla in the fi- in the uh championship game they lost Coles williams to scotty thurman Corey beck clint mcdaniel uh you go down the line so there was nine scholarships available if okay. there were not nine scholarships available trust me a 6-2 slow white kid from everett mass would not be have offered a scholarship. Like he could waste the scholarship on me. It ended up working out, but um, you know he had that luxury to kind of take a chance on a kid. You're being modest here. You're being modest. No, that that that's actually what I was going to ask was. Um, you know, I know they're the reigning national champs, but I mean the big, cause I grew up in Connecticut and I was watching all those big East, you know, my Huskies, uh, you know, Ray Allen was playing maybe a, a few years after that, but Allen Iverson, Kerry Kittles. So to go to, to be from the Northeast, to go to Arkansas, I knew there must've been some kind of wild story because it didn't get much bigger yeah. than the big East in like the mid nineties, you know, that was it. I, I, Cal, coach Cal was, uh, 
at UMass. Wow. Matter of fact, we played, we played UMass my freshman year in the Sweet 16. We went back to the Sweet 16 my freshman year, and we ended up matching up against Camby, Dana Dingle, Dante Bright, Camelo, Travieso, Edgar Padilla in, in the Sweet 16 in Atlanta. And um, Cal had no – like, I was – I had a lot of Atlantic 10 schools recruit me. Sure. Cal had no interest, zero interest <laughs> in it. None at I was like, because at the time, you know, UMass was really like a big E school almost. I oh, mean, that's yeah. how he built it. You know, they weren't, they weren't a traditional A-10 school. So, um, but it ended up working out. You know, Kareem Reed from the Bronx. Sure. And he was my backcourt mate. So he was, he was a, another Northeastern guy. And, and we, we, we bonded. We got very close um, probably because of the East coast connection. So does Cal even remember, like when you see Cal on the beat, cause you're obviously covering this league, you know, three hundred six. does Cal remember you at all? Is it kind of a, he has no idea who you are. He just knows you, you're, you're an SEC network guy. Does he remember you at all? Oh, he, he remembers. And, okay. you know, of course, he's come across so many guys. That's why I ask. Yeah. Um, he's an East Coast guy, too. And so we, we you know, share share that, I suppose, um, especially him being in Massachusetts. And Tony Barbie, who I know well, uh, is on staff with him. So all those guys, um, you know, I've gotten to know pretty well and um it's funny you know i remember watching tony barbie on a saturday sunday afternoon when they would air the a10 umass games and <laughs> you know we're talking 1990 whatever it was yeah funny though man just those memories well it segues nicely because you mentioned going to the sweet 16 and whatever it was 96 maybe um and I yeah. believe that was the last time Arkansas has been to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So beautiful segue. This is not going to be <laughs> only an Arkansas conversation. I want to get to Alabama, Kentucky. Can they make a serious run? But I mean, I'll tell you this, man, you know, I've been following this sport, you know, for years. I have never seen, um, well, I don't want to say never, but this fan base, this Arkansas fan base is so excited about Coach Muss. And yeah. you know this, you know, I, I've known Muss dating back to his Nevada days here on the right coast. That's the left coast, as you like to put it. Um, <laughs> the wrong coast. No, I'm just yeah, right. Yeah, right. I, I should tell everyone <laughs> what you told me about Vegas the other day. But, um, no, you know, I thought he would be good. I thought it would be like tournament year two, maybe mess right. around with the second weekend in year <clears throat> three. We're talking as we record here, 11, uh, 10 game SEC win streak, 10 out of 11 wins, top 10 in the country for the first time since Pat Bradley was in high school, knocking <laughs> down threes in the main gym. What do you, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, you get to cover the league, obviously, you know, you, you can't, outright root for Arkansas, but everyone knows right. you're a former Razorback. I mean, how incredible is it to see what's going on at your alma mater? It, it was – so to think what he's been able to do in a year where there was no offseason pretty much. There was no way to have – like they had eight non-conference games against, you know, what we would call, you know, the directional schools, Northwest, Southwest, Eastern, Carolina of the Hills. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, and – so what he was able to do, first of all, is amazing to, to bring 10 newcomers together, tran grad transfers, freshmen, bring them together on the same page. The one thing he was able to do last year, and this is just him, and not a lot of coaches can do this. When he goes out with these transfers, he identifies who he wants, you know what I mean, personality-wise, uh, ability-wise how to connect with these guys. And he puts the cell on them. I know the Moody family really well. And uh, Moses' father, Kareem, going back in the day in Little Rock. And he sort of explained how Coach Moss really laid out the plan for Moses and, and how he does it for recruits. And it's every, there is no stone unturned. Every, you know, uh, a T is crossed, I is dotted, how everything from off the court on the court, how we're going to get you shots. So 
I think what Musk, first of all, began last year, getting the guys in that he knew he could reach, he could coach, he could push buttons. Then you saw how he's he's got to be one of the most insane taskmasters in the, in the country. Like, I'm not joking. Like, him and Nate Oates, to me, are... You could not have come from two different backgrounds over the last, you know, a few years ago, Nate Oates is coaching in high school. Eric Musselman's coaching professional basketball. Yeah. But they're, they're sort of two peas in the same pod in a sense of incredible taskmasters. They live it. They breathe it. They're watching game film when, you know, I'm eating pizza and <laughs> lasagna and, 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 and raviolis and tripe. But so Coach Musk, that's what he does. And he lives it. I, I, he, the one word I'm gonna I'm gonna use for him, the Razorback fans, the Razorback program is hungry. Hunter Juracek was hungry. He brought in a hungry coach that wanted to show he could do it, and not just do it. I'm talking when a national championship do it. And the fan base, you mentioned the years that they wanted. And Mike Anderson's a, a friend, a great friend of mine. He was at my wedding, my second wedding. Kowloon restaurant, Saugus Matt. Okay. And it, he out. just couldn't get it over the hump. He had great teams, ranked teams, you know, he just couldn't get it over the hump. Um, and unfortunately, in the times we live in, AT, you could win the SEC, but if you get knocked out in the second round, that's a disappointment in fans' eyes. That's crazy to me. Like, I don't like that, but it is what it is. So the reality is you gotta you gotta go to the second weekend. And so to circle back, I think Musk is hungry, the players are hungry, and he I credit him with A, bringing in the right guys, B staying on their butts. And and I credit the players because there was there was a moment like early January where you could see it switched with them. You know, they, they got it. The light bulb came on and it was after they got their butt beat by LSU, Alabama, the light bulb came on and they were a different team after that. hundred percent. And, you know, I, I give him a ton of credit too. First of all, you know, he's talked on this show about having to put together this team in the off season, everything that he does taskmaster is right. And it's in a nice, it's in a good way. I give him a lot of credit too, because he was the guy the reputation was this guy won't play freshman. Now, Moses Moody, <laughs> you can't not play him. But the whole season flipped when they put two freshmen really prominently into the yeah. lineup, Devo Davis and Jalen Williams. And they've, they've taken off ever since. So real quick, because I want to talk about a few other teams and you only got a few minutes here. But what 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 is the ceiling for this team? Because I get asked a lot and, and I still think of them in my head as the team that I picked to finish fourth, fifth in the SEC. They're going to make the tournament. It'll be a nice year. But I'm looking at the polls like they're in the top 10. And, and you know, I, I don't want to put any pr too much pressure, any pressure, but it's being talked about in the state of Arkansas right now, yeah. of the run that this team could go on. I mean, what do you see happening when they get to Indianapolis? Here's what I like about them. They, they, first of all, they prioritize defense. Like the scout report starts with defensively. Sure. And with that being said, I thought that their season changed when they actually became a smarter offensive team in terms of understanding shot selection, understanding what's a good shot for who, where, when, and all that stuff. But the thing is that I love about them. So two weeks ago, they beat LSU. 60% of their points, 60% of their points came on layups, dunks, and free throws, okay? Wow. I think they made like five threes. Then the next game, 60% came on threes. They made like 13 against South Carolina yep. threes. So they have the ability to beat you in multiple ways. Number one, number in terms of offensively, they love to get to the free throw line, first of all. Matter of fact, they shot back against Auburn, they shot 43 free throws. Then the next game, they shot 30, like two. So back-to-back -back games, you're shooting 30-plus free throws. Then they make 13 threes. That's the first thing. The second thing is, defensively, like, I think they match up with 99% of teams because they're quick defensively, they're long defensively, 
So think of their perimeter. Jalen Tate, 6'6". Moses Moody, 6'6". Devo Davis is 6'3", with a wingspan of a 6'8 guy. Then you add in uh, Desi Sills, tough. Um, the only challenge is, you know, Justin Smith, Jalen Williams. Justin Smith's a, a godsend, man. Athletic, strong, tough. Um, you know, I, I just wonder if they do get that big dude like uh, in, in, in that that sits on the block um how effective you know how how's that going to shake out how's sure. that going to shake out i'm not sure that's the only question mark. and what i would say is every team has some kind of weakness i mean it's right. not it, that's not an insult to them and but i will tell you you know i, I do a radio hit every week in arkansas and this is one thing i've been banging the drum on since this team came together in august and everything was finalized was i said you know, because you know how people are. Oh, are they a Sweet 16 team? Are they a, what? All I said was when they walk in the gym athletically, there are not going to be very many teams that are that they are intimidated by or they don't look just as good and just as much of the part of. So, uh, right. real, real quick, you mentioned Nate Oates in Alabama, and, and I'm with you. Is I, I know both those guys reasonably well completely different kind of personalities, certainly backgrounds, but they're both him and coach Musk, super hungry on the recruiting trail, unique, aggressive, graduate transfers, regular transfers, reclassify, whatever. And <laughs> I know we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon and it's a big debate, you know, Oates versus Musk, coach of the year, this, that, uh, put aside all that, just your impressions of Nate Oates. Cause I also have been so impressed by him and I'll, I'll take it a step further last year. I think coach Musk largely overachieved based on injuries and who he inherited. You could yeah. argue that Nate Oates maybe underachieved a little bit. He said on my podcast, I expect to be a tournament team. They weren't going to be. So for him to flip it around mm. in year two is uh, again, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I am very yeah. impressed with what Nate Oates has done. Yeah, that's a good point with what Coach uh, Musk was able to do with Mason Jones with Isaiah Joe's injuries and Nate Oates. One of the uh, – that's what I love about Coach Oates, man. He'll tell you. Mm -hmm. He's as open as the, there yep. is. He's like – and that's great. I learn – every time I talk to him or listen to him talk, I learn more about the game of basketball. Um, here's what I love about Alabama, and I'll keep it short because I love talking about Alabama. Alabama Go is ahead. just as happy beating you shooting 30 layups than they are shooting 33s. Just as happy, okay? As a matter of fact, one of the great things that I learned from Coach Oates in the, in the last three weeks is he talked about how his, you know, he wants layups, free throws, and three-pointers, okay? But he wants some high percentage. And he had, was saying, my guys – are shooting contested twos. He goes, we're shooting 45% on layups. That is unacceptable. We need to be at 60% on layups. So just because you get in the paint and you and you throw up a, a layup amongst the trees and you miss it, that's not a good shot. That's not the game plan. So Alabama, when when they're playing their best, because I, I trust their defense, I really do. I think similar, you know, they're athletic on the perimeter. They can get out guard, they're long. I think when they get in trouble, it's when they, they settle for contested shots, contested layups, contested threes. So they need to be more aware of. And then fast forward, you know, I think the second half of the Georgia game, they shot 60% in the paint, which is where, where you want to be, or 65%. Uh, so that's what I love about Alabama. People think they just want to jack up threes. AT, AT, they'll beat you. They'll beat you. They'll beat you at the rim. They'll beat mm -hmm. you at the three-point line. They'll beat you at the free throw line, okay? So just when you think you figured them out, then they're going to do – they're going to take advantage of your weakness. And But that's the reason why Arkansas was able to beat them because they could contain the dribble and they could contest the three. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Last one because I know you got to run here. You're big time, man. You're about to be on TV here in like five minutes. You and, know, by that... run, and, and by run, you don't mean I'm going to go for a jog around the hotel. I'm, oh really? I'm okay. Gonna walk, I'm gonna walk to get something to eat because I haven't okay. eaten all day. <laughs> oh, okay. All Back right. You gotta eat. So you gotta eat. You gotta eat. You gotta. You know, what do they say? Carbo load or whatever. You got a big, big week ahead of you. So this interview Carbo, is, is gonna. <laughs> it's gonna drop Thursday. So 
you and I could both look dumb by the time this, you know, many people look at this. <laughs> no, because Kentucky opens their SEC tournament on Thursday. And my yeah. argument is not that they're going to win it. I don't think that they will. But you look at this tournament, the number three seed, LSU, they beat in the regular season. The number four seed, they won at Tennessee. The number five seed, they won at Florida. Arkansas, you know, foul in the lane with five seconds left against right. Jalen Tate. It's a one-point loss. They're up four at Alabama and lose that game. I don't think they're going to win it. I don't think they're going to win four and four. But I don't think it's inconceivable, and it's not because, oh, Kentucky this and Cal. No, I just think I'm looking at the results. I'm looking what I've seen. Kentucky has played everybody in the conference close or beaten them outright. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think that it can. Yeah, and here's the, the – yes, they can on a one-game situation. The only question I have in a four – like, they yes. have to play well four games in a row. Sure. They haven't played well four games in a row. And I get it. It's only four days and four games. So essentially you can't get hot. But one of the, the, the things that I saw, and Cal was telling us this all year, he's like, we got shooters. We just, we, just, we just aren't making them. So they started at the beginning of the year. They were making about five threes per game. Fast forward now, they're making more than eight threes per game. As a matter of fact, I believe like in the last 10 games, 11 games, they're averaging 19 three shot per game, which is more than any team in the coach Cal um, uh, in coach Cal's entire tenure. So uh, they have to make shots. They don't have a guy that can get to the rim. They don't have even Olivier Cyrus and a guy you throw it to on the block. He likes to play outside on the perimeter and, and take a, you know, hook shot. So if Mintz isn't making threes, Boston's not making threes. I mean, even Keon Brooks can make some threes. So I, I think that they have to be able to catch fire four days in a row. Sure. Or make eight threes or, or even be consistent at eight, nine threes and then do some work on the glass. Can Isaiah Jackson get you 10, 12 points? Keon Brooks, can he attack and finish? BJ does all that. Um, I haven't seen it four games in a row, but – We've never been in a bubble with them four days and four, you know, four games or four days. I think it's totally fair. I think it's totally fair. All right, Pat Bradley, he's out. He's going, he's running. Hey, against see, I feel like I've been doing all the talking here, brother. What do you, uh, well, we'll ask do me it again. a question. What do you got? You want, what, what, what do you want? You want my pick? What do you want? You tell me. All right. Last question for you. Outside okay. chance. Oh, oh, let's go with this. You take, um, this is probably an easy one for you. Uh, but just quickly, just because it's the most common question of Gonzaga Baylor, the field. And I know you'll probably take the field just because, but how much, or I mean, I don't put words in your mouth, but what's your answer? And then how, how, uh, what are the, the odds of that scenario? So I actually probably would not take the field, believe it or not. Whoa. Um, I'll tell you. Vegas got to you. Yeah. You know, it's funny because my buddy was trying to talk me into, it was, the big 10 versus the field. And he basically said, I'm betting on four or five big 10 teams versus Baylor and Gonzaga. This is, so I've had a few thoughts. And by the way, we're recording before Gonzaga's BYU game. Maybe they're terrible. Maybe I look stupid. (laughs) Two things. I do think Baylor is the best team that I've seen. I I, I really, I think they're locked in on both ends of the court. I think Gonzaga thinks they can outscore you and they haven't played a close game yet this year. But then there are also, there's also the opposite where sometimes, and I'm one of the people that did this all, all January and February. You know, I don't know, Michigan's starting to look pretty good. Illinois starting to look pretty good. Uh, you know, whatever. And then I watch Gonzaga and I'm like, am I overthinking this? Like, they just scored, you know, they just scored 18 straight points. And I don't care who the competition is. It's right, 22 right. to three, six minutes into this game. And they score so easily. And I know, you know, you get physical with them, you do whatever, but they have this incredible ability to get you to play their game. And then they get up so big that you can't catch up. That's what they did to Virginia, which took the worst loss of the Tony Bennett era. I was watching the St. Mary's game. Everyone knows St. Mary's is slow and physical and all that stuff. And it's like, well, guess what? St. Mary's, you know how they're going to play. 
all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm watching that game three minutes in St. Mary's is running down the court and jacking up contested threes. And all of a sudden it's 18 to two or whatever. So right, I, right. I, without knowing the bracket, I would probably take Baylor in the field. I'm a little out on Michigan, but I don't know if I should be Their Their guard got hurt. Uh, I think Illinois is really good. And like, I'll just say the, this entire tournament every year, it comes down to dudes. And if you got dudes, like, yeah. Kentucky's a perfect example. They've made the national championship game as a eight seed or a nine seed or whatever they were. I mean, they've made multiple final fours because they got better players than you. Right. And so like with Illinois, I think Illinois might be the, out, out, I don't think they're more talented than Gonzaga, but maybe the second most talented team. They're going to have the most talented player in this tournament. Now he's not the number one pick, but I would assume was the best player in the tournament. So, um, mm. I, I, you know, I really like, I don't know, man. I, I just, I do. The, the I, more you think about it, the more you drive, what, drive yourself crazy. I will. It will. And, you know, a couple of things. What, what I would just say definitively, something that I've come to the conclusion of that I truly believe is that the top four, I do believe, are significantly better than everybody yeah. else. Michigan, Illinois, Baylor, Gonzaga. And, you know, assuming there's no crazy COVID stuff, I just, I think we'll see a lot of upsets in round one. You know, those four or five seeds are going to lose. You know, Villanova's banged up right now. Creighton's going through their stuff. Tennessee is like a perfect example of like, if they're hot, if they're right, they're good. If they're not, they're going to lose in round one. But I think once we get to the end, it's going to be those top teams. I'm not saying all four get to the final four. And I just, I, you know, I tweeted it out and people got mad, including Arkansas fans, by the way. But I think the, the national championship is going to come from one of those four. And from there, it, you know, I don't want to say everybody else is playing from second, but I think it would take something surprising for anything yeah. other than those top four to win it. So, well, the, re the reality is it's there's a reason why you have a lot of the ones twos are winning national championship you know they don't <laughs> well let me i use this point every year and it always surprises people um everyone every year oh it's so wide open so wide open. yeah right right okay here are the facts these are not opinions these are facts since 2007 so that's 13 ncaa tournaments didn't have one last year of those 13 ncaa tournaments or 12 maybe it's 12 nine have been won by number one seeds uh, one was won by Villanova when they were the top number two seed. So basically the fifth best team in the country. Right. And the two other ones were won by my alma mater, UConn, where they had the best player in the tournament. So if you're not a number one seed or you don't have the best player in the tournament, you're probably not winning the thing. And so everyone always, and by the way, I think last year was the year where there really were like 12 teams that could win it. But most years, everybody wants to claim it's so yeah. wide open. And it's like the teams that it's, can yeah. actually win it, there's like six of them, five maybe, you know. And by the way, Shabazz Ooh. from Boston, Mass. Yep, Charleston, I think. Yeah, he's a bad man. Try to get him on he's the podcast. The problem is he's not a talker like you. So I, we, I had him nailed down for the uh, summer, and then he bailed at the last minute. But I respect him. It's okay. Been there, man. Hey, listen, he can hoop. See, I can't hoop anymore, so I got to talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's the man. But all right, all right brother, Bradley, I appreciate you, man. SEC Network, we will wrap. Uh, you, he will go get food. You'll see him all week. Uh, we'll talk soon, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks, AT. You're the best, brother. Keep up the great work, man. You do. A, you got a fun podcast, brother. I love it.